Why Elijah and Elisha? What's the value of sharing this with our kids and even talking about this at church? One of them, I'm just going to make this argument, is to remember this, these two guys really did live. And while we're reenacting it right here, and this is, this is a great, great thing, don't, don't do this like, don't look at this like, you know, it's a kid's story because it's not a story, it's an account that actually happened. How many believe it actually happened? Raise your hand. Okay, great. great I'm glad. So, so we know what actually happened, and somewhere around 900 B.C. And then it was recorded in Scripture, and for every generation and for every believer, that story and what they were trying to do back then it's still, God is still using them to shape us. These two guys were trying to affect Israel back then in 900 BC, but he, they're still trying to serve the church in the year 2023. And in fact, the situations are so similar. Ahab and Jezebel came on the scene, and all of a sudden, everybody was worshiping false gods. And God said, I got to do something. I got I to gotta get out into this traffic, and I've got to direct people to make a U turn. They're going the wrong way, and God's trying to redirect them back to Him. And while their gods were things like Baal and Asherah and these poles in their backyard, you know, when an elder or a preacher comes to your house, especially when it's an elder and a preacher comes to your house, you're like, okay, I did something wrong, but we're never probably going to find a pole in your backyard or a God in your house, probably. But, you know, we've got American idols. Have you noticed this? We've got American idols. We've got things in America we look to for our security. We look to uh, to give us relief from boredom. We look to to give us a sense of control. We've got all sorts of idols, but they're just so different. And yet, that's exactly what he called Elijah and Elisha to. Get these people to quit worshiping idols and come back to me. And you know what? We still need this today. We still need this. We need this for a world. We're crying out to the world, hey world, y'all are looking in all the wrong places for what you need. You're looking to all these other things to fill and give you meaning and significance in your life, and none of it will. It will come crashing down on you in a matter of time. And we're telling you where to really look. Look into your Creator. Look to your Creator, God, who redeemed you through Jesus. But not only are we, not only are we saying this to the world, we're reminding each other, and we know why. We are constantly drawn back to the gods of this world aren't we? Hey, church, aren't we? It is so dangerous to us, too. It's not like once we've been drawn out of it, and once we've named the name of Jesus, and once we bowed our knee and called him King Jesus and say, we live our life for you, even the week after that, <coughs> even the week after that, we're drawn back to the stuff of the world, our jobs, our families, our, our, our movies, our phones, our stuff, our leisure, all that stuff that God gives us to look through to see him, we stop at them and make them our gods. Every one of us is prone to this, and we need our Elijahs. I need you to sometimes be Elijah to me, and you need me to be Elisha for you. Here's how you can tell it. I might say to you, I might say to you, we're way too enamored with our phones. You can't even go through a worship service without spending a lot of time playing on your phone. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've been tempted to stop and call it out. But I don't want to be a Jimmy Allen, you know. And you can say, well, blah, blah, blah. 
And yet when I say that, you automatically get defensive and start making an argument for why. That's when you know it's more important to you than it should be. You're using it beyond its purpose for something that, that, that serves a purpose way that, that only God is supposed to serve. And I'm going to say to you during church camp time, let's, let's, this is meddlesome. We, we, we're not going to put a detailed dress code together for this, right? But we're going to put, put some things out there and say, listen, just honor this certain basic thing. One of them I'm going to say is, listen, these spandex shorts and pants and all that stuff, please don't do that to camp this year. Just go a whole week spandexless. Right? And, 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 and whatever you call those uh, yoga pantsless that are skin tight and it's just another layer of skin. It's your fourth layer. I'm going to say, please don't do that at church camp. And the moment I do, you're going to get mad and start arguing and say, but, 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 I can't find anything else. Oh, listen. When you start making arguments, when somebody touches a touchy spot and you feel the need to have to defend it, I'm, we are scratching the surface of our gods. And that's what Elijah and Elisha were doing. So what's happening? We're in 1 Kings chapter 17. I lost my Bible somewhere. It's in this auditorium somewhere. I'm using my phone and it feels sinful. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord lives, the God of Israel, as the Lord the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand there will be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. He doesn't say how many years, he just says years. Elijah steps on the scene, and he says, okay, God's shutting the waterworks off. God is taking back the reins of his kingdom. Come on, y'all, that was great. You get it, reins, or reins, R-A, R, forget it, it's lost on you people. Anyway, I'm going to take over the, the I'm, I'm taking back what's mine. You see, Baal was the god of the rain and the storm. He was the one everybody called on when the rains came. And God decided, if you want Baal, let me show you. I'm going to venture into Baal's territory. I'm going to shut the waterworks off. And you're going to find out that Baal has nothing to do with it. That the water only runs at my command. And he does that. He's going to say that. But he's got to prepare for three and a half. We know it ends up being three and a half years, so I'm just going to say that, even though that's not what Elijah said initially. Three and a half years, but what's God going to do for three and a half years? You know what ends up happening after three and a half years? There's the Mount Carmel scene of 1 Kings chapter 18. Be here on Monday for that. Okay, that story. But how's he going to prepare Elisha, Elijah? That's a, that's a problem, y'all. I'm just. How's he going to prepare Elijah for what happens in chapter 18? The way he does it is by putting him through basic training in 1 Kings 17. Do you know that right now God is preparing you for something you don't even know, but something in your life right now is equipping you for it? Can you look back at five years ago? Some, is there something that's happening in your life now that five years ago you wouldn't have handled it near as well as you do now, but something God worked in you between then and now has developed in you an ability to handle this now? Listen, he's doing something in your life right now to prepare you for five years from now. That's the way our God works. You may remember Joseph, right? He's in prison for a couple years. After one year, I'm wondering if Joseph's going, I want to quit this. Don't quit this, Joseph. There's something amazing going to happen a year from now, but God's not telling you that now. But this jail thing is, is working something in you to handle that 
a year from now. Just let him do it. And he tells Elijah what he's going to do. He tells him simply, I want you to go to Cherith. I want you to go to this brook. Now, somebody who's got their phone, I'm going to give you a scripture, a justifiable reason. to use. Somebody look up what is a flock of ravens. I just want you to look at it, and when I, when I get to that point, I want you to tell me what it is. So there, there shall be, thank you very much. The word of the Lord is good. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go to the east and hide by the Kareth brook near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you. For I have commanded them to bring you food. God speaks to ravens. And ravens do exactly what God tells them to. Now the reason Israel's in trouble is because when God speaks to them, they don't. But even birds, even bird brain people listen to God, right? Now does anybody have what, a, what is a flock of ravens called? What? Unkindness, Right? It's an unkindness. So he uses an unkindness to show kindness. God actually makes him work against his nature. And you know what we need to do? We need to listen to God's word even when it goes against our nature. Isn't that brilliant? That's amazing application. Let's bask in the glow of that for just a minute. Let me just really... That's, that's an amazing thing. These ravens feed him. And so what ends up happening, he goes to this brook, and the natural water is there, and he gets to drink the water, and these ravens, every morning, meat and bread, which makes up a sandwich. And he gives us a sandwich in the morning, just like he did Israel in the wilderness, but also in the evening. He gets twice a day and plenty of water. And he just sits there. We don't have any idea how long. Some, <clears throat> somewhere between like five minutes after the call and three and a half years. Probably a year, year and a half, he's sitting behind, beside <coughs> this brook. Fed every day by ravens that bring him food. And he eats an unclean animal that he cannot eat. Can deliver him the food he can eat. Isn't that weird? You better believe Elijah knew it was strange. This is so very odd, but what is the point of this? And he just sits there. Just sits there. He's safe, but time is clicking by. Some of the three and a half years that are necessary click by. But what's he doing in Elijah in this basic training? And here's the answer to that. Keep going on the screen. Can you, Elijah, can you stand with God alone? Can you... Do what God tells you to if no one else around you will. Can you do that? Because you know what? He's going to have to in chapter 18. How many false prophets are there? I'm just going to, how many false prophets are there in chapter 18 for those? Some say 450. It sounds like 850 if I count them up right. 850 false prophets and how many of God's people? He's standing alone. So if he's going to stand alone in chapter 18, he better learn to stand alone with just God. If, if God is with you and you're doing what God tells you to and you have to, you have to stand alone, can you do it? Now, none of us likes to. We are in a church to keep us from having to be alone. But there will be moments in your life, if you do what God tells you to, you will have to stand alone. Can you do it? Will you do it? Paul. He was converted on the road to Damascus. 
And you read in the book of Galatians as he describes what ends up happening. He says, immediately set off into Arabia. You know where that is? That is no man's land. God sends him away from everybody, and I think that's when he's caught up in the third heaven or whatever that weird thing God had him experience. That's when that happened. But he had to go alone for a while. God had to, you remember Jesus? Right after he was baptized, the Spirit came on him, and the Spirit took control, and the Spirit put him into the wilderness by himself with wild animals. There are moments. Elijah will emerge from this experience as a man of God, but he enters it as a man from Tishbe, and he comes out of it as a man of God. And if we're going to become a person of the world, known from where we come from, or we're going to be a person of God, we got to go through basic training. Can you stand alone if that is what is required? That's lesson number one. Lesson number two is triggered when the water stops. The brook dries up. Now, God could have kept that going, but he didn't. He wants to move Elijah to step two. But here's something interesting, and I want you to take note of this because it has nothing to do with any of this lesson, okay? Eventually, the effects of the sin of Israel and God shutting off the water affects even people who didn't do the sinning. Sin and its consequences will reach into the lives of people who didn't even commit the sin. It's not Elijah's fault. I want to tell you, dads, that some of the things that you do and the sins you commit affect your entire family. You didn't intend it. You didn't see it that way, but that's what happens. Our sins touch other people that didn't even deserve that consequence. That's the way it works. Be careful with your sin. It's not just about you. Just remember that. But it triggers the second thing. And so we go to chapter 17. The Lord said to Elijah, after the water dried up, he said, Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. Sidon should trigger in your mind, this is where Jezebel's from. Jezebel's father is the king up there, Ethbaal. Is, this is the capital city of all Baal worship. It is Baal Belt, the Baal Belt of the world. This is where Baal comes from, and this is where everybody worships. He's going into Jezebel's hometown. He's going to walk up there a hundred miles as a wanted man. He's going to walk that journey and go into the very heart of where the battle should be fought. Now, interesting, the famine's up there too. Where Baal should have most control, they have it just as bad as he does, as Israel does. And he walks up there, and here's what God tells him. He, he gives him enough information, and he, Elijah just up and goes. He says, so he went to Zarephath. He says, I have instructed a widow there to feed you. Just like he told the ravens to feed Elijah, he's had a conversation with this unknown widow and decided and told her she's going to feed. I don't know what kind of conversation she must have had with God, but it's already been had. God's already talked to her about it. So he went to Zarephath. No questions asked. He walked that hundred miles. And as he arrived he, to the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks and asked her, would you please bring me a little water and a cup? And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, and bring me some bread too. She said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't even have a single piece of bread in the house. I have a handful of flour left in the jar, a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks. I'm going to cook this last meal, and my son and I will eat and die. This is our last supper, right? 
But Elijah said, don't, don't be afraid of all that. Go ahead, do what I've asked you to do. Do what you were going to do, but make a little bread for me first. Now, this is forward here. Go ahead and eat and die, but feed me first. Feed me, feed, feed me first. Weird, right? But she does it. And the only explanation for this is God's already told her to. And she hears the words. Notice what Elijah does. Make a little bread for me first, then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I don't expect you to trust me. These are the words of God. And you know what she does? She does them. Just like Elijah said. Elijah is able to draw obedience out of another person. Not only now, this is not about Elijah anymore. It's Elijah's ability to still honor the word of God in a foreign land and know that some people are going to respond to it. And he's able to draw out faith from fellow believers. Now, this is strange to me. I got to thinking, how does this ever apply in Scripture? And it made me think of a night in Corinth where Paul, I think, was second-guessing himself. He's not having a, a long track of success at this point in chapter 18. But God says to him while he's at Corinth, the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, don't be afraid. Interesting, same words that Elijah says to the woman, the widow. But go on speaking my words. Don't be silent. Go on speaking. I'm with you. And if the sentence ended there, that's enough, right? You just preach the words because I'm with you. Yes, that's right. But he goes on to say, no one will attack you. I have many in this city who are my people. I've got some people in this city who are God-fearers. They respect what I say. And when they hear the words that you say that are from me, it will draw them out, and it will cause them to be faithful. They're out there, Paul. You just have to trust me that they're there, and you just got to stay faithful to my word. Don't back down. Don't water down. Don't change anything. You preach it. I'll be with you, and I'll draw those people to you. Do you think there's still people like this in our world? We'll only know that if, we, if we're willing to speak and live the words of God, just like he says them. Only if we really trust in it. And yes, I know we serve a world that doesn't listen to him. His words have grown stale. God's voice is not even wanted. They've chosen other sources of authority and sources of instruction than God. But we still live in a world that is hungry for the words of God. Will anybody dare actually speak them? May we, if the rest of the world goes to hell from here, may we always stand on these words no matter what. May we. He's teaching Elijah something. He's teaching him, first of all, can you stand on my word and be faithful to it if you have to stand alone? And then can you speak them in a world where where you think nobody respects them, in a land that you think nobody cares? Will you still trust them and let me draw people to you and through you to me? That's crazy, and I'm wondering. Chapter 18, a little foreshadowing here. He has to stand alone against 850 prophets. But by the end of the story, all the people of Israel are on his side, and they kill them. If you'll just trust the words of God, even if the rest of the world doesn't are we willing to do this 
When somebody asks you a question about how they should live their lives or what they should do, will you please just use the words of God and not alter them with the words of Dr. Phil or good therapy? This world needs more God, not more therapy. They do. Do we just trust them or do we think, well, I'll send them on to somebody else or let them go hear something? No, they need to hear the words of God. That's the novel thing. This is the problem for the days of Elijah. Sounds like a song, doesn't it? This is the problem today. And in between there was another day too, wasn't there? Let me just give one more glimpse and then we'll be done. And that's this. The days of Jesus. He came in the scene. He's preaching the gospel. Lots of people are responding. Lots of people aren't. And he goes to his hometown in Luke chapter 4. And he unrolls Isaiah and he reads that. The Lord has anointed me by his spirit to preach the good news among the poor, heal the sick, and, and release the captives. And then he rolls it back. And it says he gave it back to the attendant. Remember, this is his hometown. They saw him grow up. He handed it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. If you've seen the chosen, you've seen this scene. It's an amazingly moving scene. It makes you realize just how tense the moment was. And they all looked at him, and he said, Today this scripture has been fulfilled right here in your hearing. What Isaiah's talking about is right here. That's the truth. And all spoke well of him, and they marveled. He speaks so well the gracious words coming from his mouth, and they said, isn't this Joseph's son? Haven't we seen him grow up? And he says, no doubt you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal thyself. Right? I want you to prove it. What we've heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown, but it, it, it was already proven up to this point. He couldn't do any miracles there. Nobody believed in him. Notice what he says. Truly I say to you, no prophet of God, speaking the words of God, is acceptable in his hometown. His own people won't listen to him. And what does he use as an illustration of this? He takes them back to the same thing that we are studying this week with VBS. I tell you the truth, there were a bunch of widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months. And a great famine came over the land. There was a bunch of Israelite widows who needed help. But guess who God sent Elijah to? Elijah was sent to none of them but to Zarephath in the area of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Because nobody in Israel would listen to him. And then Elisha, as if preparing for VBS 2023, as if thinking, I'm going to give a great one-two punch for when the Rothies fix this one up. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Come back on Wednesday night for that one. You know what he's saying? He went to people who would listen. He went and spoke to people who would hear him. His own people wouldn't. They no longer trusted the words. They were listening to some other voice, and God was drowned out. And they needed Elijah and Elisha to get through to them. He sent them prophets, and he sent them miracles to get the people to listen. And today, what we need in the church is we need the church to be Elijah for the world. 
We need a church to say to the world, you're looking in the wrong places. We know where there's life. And if you'll just listen to the word. But if they don't, you still preach it. And we need to remind each other to have faith in that word. I know what it looks like sometimes. Speaking that word in our world right now just seems a little backwaterish. There'll be people with all sorts of modern arguments and they think that's so old and it's such an ancient word. How can it have any relevance to us today? I understand. But church, don't ever change the words. Don't ever go off script. Don't ever lose confidence and hope that these words always go out and come back having accomplished exactly what God has designed them to. May we be a people who will speak those words and trust that even if we alone are speaking it and the rest of the world falls around us and says we're, not, we're just not interested and we lose our numbers, may we still preach these words and stand alone. And may we know, may we have confidence that God has people out there who are longing for someone to say the words. And may they find that the people speaking them is us. That's why we're in Elijah and Elisha at BBS this year. Elijah could trust God's words. That's what that three and a half years of basic training is about. I can trust it if I have to stand alone. I can trust it and know that God will use it to draw the people through me to himself. I can do it if I'm faithful to them. And the question is, can he do it? Can he stand alone, and will there be people that come? We'll have to wait till chapter 18 to see, but this is the basic training. And we have come here today. We've come here today to remind each other and to, and to encourage one another to listen to the words of God and stick with the words of God. I hope the reason you're here this morning is because God's word instructed you to be. That's why you're here. And I hope that when you leave here and return to your life where it is outside of here, you'll take those same words with you and trust that the most important thing you can do is to keep those words faithful even if you have to stand alone and you might have to. But there are people out there. God's wanting to call to himself through his word, but he's sending you. Will you speak them? He's acting, asking you to direct traffic as one of his people, and may we be the church that sings the song, these are the days of Elijah. So church, these are the days of Elijah. Be Elijah. Be him. Function as he was asked to function. That's how we change the world. If there's anyone who needs to respond this morning, the word is clear. Make Jesus Lord of your life, confess his name, be washed in the waters of baptism, rise to walk this life by the word of God. If you've done that and you've fallen away and for some reason you need, you need to publicly make it known and repent, that's available to you too as we stand, as we sing together.